Hey everyone, Christy McClellan here, and I want to invite you to a brand new event from Lifeway Women called Feast. At this event, you'll be invited to feast on God's Word by studying the Bible in its historical, cultural context. We're going to get to know the Bible in its world, in its native habitat, text, and context. You'll experience teaching, worship led by my 25-year friend, Laura Cooksey, and fellowship with other women around the world. Come and learn with me that the living God is better than we ever knew. Visit LifeWay.com slash Feast to learn more. This is the Mark Podcast from LifeWay Women. We're your hosts, Elizabeth Heineman and Kelly King. Each episode, we'll talk about what God is doing, how He has and is marking each of us. Sometimes that will be through interviews, and sometimes we'll have conversations around the table. We're so glad you've joined us today. We love connecting with you on social media. We'll bring encouragement, scripture, giveaways, and more to your social media feed. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Lifeway Women. Hello and welcome to the Mark Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Elizabeth Heineman, and I am here with my co-host, Kelly King. Hey, Kelly. Hey, Elizabeth. It's good to be back again. Yes. And today we have some people from your home here on the podcast. I know. I know. These are my Oklahoma friends. But, but I, I've never really met them in person, but I know there's a little bit of their story and their story is going to be such an encouragement to our listeners today. But I do want to just preface everything by saying that the, the topic that we're going to talk about is a little bit sensitive. And so it might not always be suitable for younger listeners. So it might just be something that you want to preview before you listen to, uh, listen to it, or um, as you listen, maybe you want to put your earbuds in. That'll be great too. But Francine and Laura, welcome to the Mark Podcast. Thank you very much. My oh, pleasure. Thank you so much for having us on. Absolutely. Yes. So let's start off on our podcast. We like to have our guests introduce themselves. So introduce yourselves, and then just let's go ahead and dive into your story. So. Tell us uh, who you are, and then tell us about your family and y'all's relationship. Okay, my name is Francine Perry, and uh, I have been married for 53 years to Paul, and we have three children, uh, the youngest of whom is Laura, that uh, I am uh, on this podcast with, and uh, we are uh, more than, it's our pleasure to share what God has done in our lives uh our stories are tightly woven together as you will see and uh, we just give all the praise to god he's the one that did the work in both of us yeah we're so thankful to have you both here laura tell us a little bit about yourself yeah um, my name is laura perry and um i you know i lived in the transgender lifestyle for almost nine years but you know i was just a i was a girl that grew up in church that hadn't I think a lot of brokenness and a lot of lies I believed, <laughs> but 
uh, Jesus has just really rescued me. So I'm just happy to be here and share my story of what he has done. Huh. You want to just kind of share a little bit about that, Laura, about just your journey? And, and Francine, we want to hear especially from you as well. Yeah, I had I had grown up in the church, and we were one of those families. You know, we were at church every time the door was open. And very early in life, I think I began to believe a lot of lies. I, I think for a lot of reasons, um, I was very, very close with my dad, and we were, you know, like two peas in a pod. <laughs> I was always told I was like my dad. I looked like my dad. I You know, we had similar personalities and began to really identify a lot with dad. Um, you know, mom and I weren't as close and there were different reasons for that. I think, um, a lot of it may have been just personality differences, but, um, I didn't realize either how busy mom was and how many times now that I'm an adult, I'm beginning to understand how much she had on her plate and how much she was trying to do. But as a little kid, I couldn't understand that. And I felt pushed away a lot. Like mom didn't have time for me. Um, just didn't feel like she wanted me around, but very early in life, I, I began to interpret her better relationship with my brother as maybe mom wish I had been a boy. Um, you know, but I, I think, uh, I, I begin to live in this fantasy world. I, I begin to wear his clothes and play with his toys. And I always wanted to be around my brother, I tried to be a lot like him. And it got reinforced when I would go to school and the other girls would treat me different, you know, and I, I didn't, I didn't know how to relate to the girls. Um, I didn't have a great relationship with my sister either. And so, you know, I just, I, I felt like I was, I was so much more comfortable with the boys and I liked doing the things that they like doing. I liked playing soccer with them rather than playing with the girls. So I, be, I began to feel like I was rejected by the girls. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I was molested when I was eight. And so it, you know, then I became kind of sexual and it, it really brought a lot of confusion into my life. And I lived in this fantasy world of always wanting to be a boy. Um, when I was older and I was in high school, I think I had actually... I don't know if I'd really um, grown out of it in a sense. I mean, but I think I was, back then I hadn't even heard of someone transitioning. So it wasn't even like in the realm of possibility that I could actually transition. Um, So I think I was, uh, you know, I I was really trying to get love in all the wrong places. I I started dating boys a lot and um, was trying so hard to feel loved and accepted by these men. But I was getting into a lot of sexual sin and the more that I gave away, the more hurt I was and the more rejected I was. And I was just rejected and dumped over and over and over and over and over. And I finally, it began to, I began to think back on all these thoughts I'd had as a child. And I thought, you know, the reason this never works out is because I was supposed to be the man. If I was the man, you know, I know how a woman wants to be treated. And so I think I really got to this place where it was like, I think um, if I, like, I can't, I can't find what I want a man to be for me. So it was like I wanted to become uh, what I was actually looking for. And I didn't realize that, that, that at the time. Once I embraced it and I really began to um, take on that identity, all of a sudden it was like, oh, my goodness, this makes sense. This is always who I was. I was born this way. And I was supposed to be a man. And I really believed I was a man trapped in a woman's body. And I didn't even want to openly be transgender. I wasn't out and proud and celebrating and part of the LGBT community so much. I wanted to be a man and absolutely erase the existence of Lara. And so as I went down that road and I began to take the hormones and I began to um, have all the legal changes, my voice began to get lower and I had to, I had facial hair and I began all these outward changes. And then um, I finally had a double mastectomy and then had all the female organs removed. 
you know, and I thought all this time that this was going to solve all my problems and bring me complete happiness. And it was weird as it was helping, it was sort of getting me out of the pain a little bit, but at the same time, it wasn't, it wasn't fixing it. It was kind of like taking painkillers, you know, and I, but there was always this realization that there was, it, um, that it wasn't real. And I was like, and it was weird as everybody else be, around me began to believe it. And I had a job where I was only known as male. And yet I knew, I knew that it wasn't real, you know. And so it was so frustrating as I kept thinking, maybe another surgery, maybe another hor year of hormones, maybe this or maybe that. And just everything that I did um, really wasn't making it real. And I was just kind of depressed. And, um, but the Lord had been pursuing me this whole time. And I know this was because of the prayers of my parents and of their Bible studies. They had, you know, there are so many parents out there that they don't want anyone else to know, but this is actually really detrimental. So one of my biggest encouragements is to not only be praying yourself, but get others in the church. You don't have to tell the entire church, um, and especially if it's a large church, but at least find a small group that you can really have praying with you. Um, it was so encouraging to them, but also I began, but God began, just began pursuing me. And there were so many times all throughout that those almost nine years that God would encounter me and times he would just reveal himself to me. And, and he was drawing me little by little. And it's not like, you know, I didn't get to the point where it was like I was really depressed and then all of a sudden I wanted God. I really wasn't looking for God at all. Um, right. But he just, I found myself all of a sudden one day my mom had asked me to make a website for her Bible study, and all I began to read the lessons so I could summarize them for the website. And people have often thought my mom sort of figured out how to fix me. She had she had really surrendered me to the Lord, and she just needed a website. This wasn't some ulterior motive, um, which she had always tried to fix me my whole life. But this was just a, an innocent thing. But the Lord, you know, after years of her wanting so bad to to fix me, it was so cool how the Lord really had her take her hands off but then all of a sudden he started to use her and she really didn't even realize it at first <clears throat> but the lord he began to reveal himself through his lessons and i began to get curious and all of a sudden i said i was like mom what happened to me six months ago i was 180 degrees from where i am now i said all i want is to hear the word of god and this was mm -hmm. never like me and so um i couldn't explain and she said well i've been praying that god would draw you back like a magnet mm -hmm. i was like wow and I couldn't explain it. I had no explanation. I had never wanted God. I was so far from the Lord. There were times in high school, I got into so much rebellion. Um, I wanted to be the opposite of a Christian. I wanted absolutely nothing to do with God. There were times that I remember praying to Satan, asking Satan to keep people from coming to know Jesus. Because wow. I didn't want anything to do with God. I really rejected him. I told God I would never serve him again. So this was not on my radar at all. And somehow I found myself just wanting the Lord. And it it wasn't anything I had done, and I couldn't explain it other than I knew God was changing my heart. And this is why prayer is so important, because my mom and dad could have never accomplished that in me. Mm -hmm. No amount of them talking to me could have given me this hunger. It was something that I knew the Lord was putting in there. And um, so, you know, shortly after that, I really, am, I saw such a change in my mom as well. And she had gone from, you know, she says in her own testimony that she had been kind of a a legalistic Pharisee, you know, and I hadn't seen a lot of faith growing up. I'd seen a lot of religion, but now all of a sudden she was filled with faith and peace and she had been transformed over these years. And when I saw that change in her, I knew the gospel was true. It was like, Christ is a
Like I knew this was all real. And I gave my heart to the Lord and I got radically transformed. I mean, I was so changed literally in a moment that I knew I was never going to be the same. I was like, this is what it's like to be born again. I, you know, I prayed the prayers and I've committed my life at Falls Creek and these things, but I had never known the Lord. I'd really never surrendered to him. I'd really never given him my life. But now that I had really in faith given him my life, I was so transformed. I knew I was never going to be the same, but I thought I was going to be a man of God. And, you know, because I thought, well, God saved me like this. God must be okay with this, you know. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize that he wasn't going to leave me there. And so Mm -hmm. he began to tug on my heart. And over the next year and a half, he began so gently. He was so patient. And yet he didn't leave me there. And it was like he just began to convict me more and more and more. And I finally got to a point one day where I was willing to give him anything but this because I did. It was so painful. Every time I thought about going back to being female, I just couldn't stand the thought. It was like a knife going through my soul because by this time I had really completely cut off that feminine identity. I had tried to erase the existence of Laura and I didn't ever want to go back. And I, I threw myself on the floor one day and I said, Lord, I want everything you have for me. I don't want to miss anything. I want to hear well done, good and faithful servant. What do you want of me? And the Lord asked me a question. He said, if you stood before me tonight, what name would I call? I said, oh, Lord, that is not fair. I, you know, I said, I was sorry. I repented of this. I, I, I'm sorry that I did all this, but I'm glad you saved me. Like, can't we just move on? And he reminded me of John chapter one, where it says, Jesus Christ himself is the creator. He said, you cannot claim to love me and yet reject my creation. And I thought I was being condemned because I was not going to go back to being female. That just wasn't even on the table, you know? Um, and I thought, if God doesn't accept me as Jake, then there is no hope for me. But in the most loving voice I've ever heard in all my life, he whispered to me, and he said, let me tell you who you are. And that's what began to give me hope and began to free me for the first time, because I couldn't even conceive of me being a girl again. But there was this hope that somehow I knew that God knew better than I did. And maybe if God could really show me who I was, And if he could, maybe there was this hope for healing. I can't even explain it really because I didn't want to be a girl. It's not like at that moment I went, oh my goodness, I really am a girl. (laughs) It was more painful than I could ever even describe. And yet there was just this little tiny seed of faith that maybe God had something that I couldn't understand yet. And, but I didn't know how to fix it. And so over the next couple of months, I kept wrestling with what I, how I was going to fix this. Because I, I had the mindset that I was going to change myself for God to kind of make him happy. And he really withdrew his presence after that. And I could not feel him. And there was such a tangible void in my life. I was miserable. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I could barely work. Um, I drove home twice to Bartlesville from Tulsa where I was living so I could um talk to my parents and I couldn't even get the words out I was in so much pain and so much misery and I was just under so much conviction and I finally saw myself in this deep dark pit I couldn't get out of and I could see the light at the top but there was no way out and I said uh like uh or sorry the Lord said to me he reminded me of Matthew 16 verses 24 through 26 where it says if anyone will come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me For whoever will save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his own soul? And I had a clear vision of Jesus Christ getting down on one knee. He reached his hand down into this pit I was in, and he said, do you trust me? And I knew he was asking me to just walk away from everything. 
And after all this time of trying to figure out how I was going to fix it, how I was going to make myself good enough for God, it reminded me of when he called the disciples and he wanted them to just leave their nets and it's like, just drop it all and come and follow me. And so I, that's what I did. I honestly, I didn't know what the rest of my life was going to look like. I didn't think I'd ever feel like a girl again. I thought I was going to be miserable the rest of my life, honestly. But there was this hope that one day would be okay because I knew that I would have a glorified body in heaven. I knew I would no longer have a sin nature. And I, I sort of knew everything was going to be okay. I knew that heaven was going to be more wonderful than I could imagine. And so there was that hope. But I didn't know as I walked away from my partner, from my job, from that identity, from everything I had known for almost a decade, the Lord began to absolutely transform me. And he began, as he began to peel away the layers, as I began to forgive my mom and as we, um, and I realized how much, you know, and began to repent to her of all the things I had done. I was a horrible teenager. I had put them through absolute hell and to see their grace on me after all I'd put them through was so healing. And the Lord, I mean, the last thing on earth I wanted to do was go home and live with mommy and daddy at 33 years old, I think it was. And yet, it was so incredibly healing for me. And it reminded me so much of the story of the prodigal son, where the father just embraced him after all he had done. And I was so grateful. And as the Lord began to peel away the layers of all the hurt and pain, the layers of the masculinity, and those desires just began to fade away as well. And... Um, I was so involved in the church and in discipleship, and I had, especially the first year, was just consumed with reading the word and with being involved in the church, and I just, um, my identity became in, in being part of the body of Christ and in him living his life through me, and it was like everything else just faded away. It reminds me of the old hymn that says the, um, you know, like the closer that we get to Jesus, it says the things of earth will grow strangely dim. And that's really what it became is like everything else just kind of faded away and Christ was living through me and he has just radically transformed me. And now today, like I absolutely love being a woman for the first time in my life and I've become so feminine and curly and most people like are so shocked now when they find out that I was ever trans. Right. So it's, it's just been an incredible journey. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing yeah. that with us and with our listeners. Yeah. Yeah, it, it just goes to show you just God's pursuit of someone. And yes. Francine, you've got to be listening to this. And I know, you know, you've lived the story, you've heard her tell the story, but I'm sure for you, it is just a, just that reminder of God's just power in the lives of people. And man, we hear a lot from mothers who maybe listen to this podcast. And, you know, how would you encourage other mothers who maybe not just, this particular sin, but any, like, when when there's just rebellion, how would you encourage moms? Um, You know, we, there are many, what I will call, prodigals in the world. Mm -hmm. And um, kids that were raised in church, and I hear the same story from mothers I talk to week after week for several years now. And the stories are very similar it's just the names are changed. Mm-hmm. And kids are walking away from the faith that they were raised in. They're walking away from the faith they once confessed. And being seduced by uh, the lies of the culture, the lies of Satan, the lies of false teachers. And uh, so there's all kinds of prodigals. And the, the, what I tell every mother, there is nothing you can say to change them. 
and because I tried for a long time. And I found the, the only way that this, uh, where I found peace and I found victory even in a circumstance in a dark pit for almost a decade, was that at the, at the very beginning of it, I kind of, she threw herself on the floor at the end. I threw myself on the floor in the beginning. And uh, I just totally surrendered to the Lord, what I call absolute surrender. And I just, I acknowledged that nothing I could do was going to change this. And it was really like out of the blue to us. It stunned us. Um, we just had no idea. Uh, even when she would give her testimony, which I heard a couple of months later, uh, I had no idea that she had been molested when she was eight years old. She had never told us and kept it a secret. So as I was mm -hmm. listening to her in the very beginning, uh, I was sitting next to a friend and I said, I didn't know this. I didn't know this. I didn't know this. So there were a lot of things I learned that had been going on that of which I was unaware. But I told the Lord that night, I said, I just, I have to give it all to you. And I just knew that he was asking me to concentrate on my relationship with him. Mm -hmm. He wanted me to quit trying to be the fixer. And uh, he brought me to a place of humility, uh, that independent spirit and uh, kind of self-sufficient. And he brought me to a place where I learned to get on the potter's wheel and ask him to begin to change me and to take away everything from me that was not like Jesus. And I threw myself into a lot of Bible study and uh, memorizing the word. And um, God really began to change me. And as he changed me, that was one of the things that impacted Laura. So a lot of the mothers, uh, when they call me and I'm talking to them, they always want to know, what can I do? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You can't do anything except put yourself right with the Lord. Because many times these things come into our lives, and not only does he want to do a work in the rebellious child, he wants to do a work in the parent. And yeah. I sure did not want to hinder his work. We can get our hands in his work, and we can mess it up very quickly. And so I remember um, I just, that's what I did. I concentrated on my relationship with him, let him be the one that would change me. I was going to different Bible studies three times a week. And instead of doing, doing, doing in the church, like I had been for 50-something years, I really began to concentrate more on letting him change me who he wanted me to be mm -hmm. instead of all my doing. Because I had been, you know, like born in the church almost. And, uh, but I, I always thought to grow spiritually, it was through all my activity. And yeah. I was very active in the church, as Laura said. Almost every time the doors was open, I did vacation Bible school. I played in children's church. I helped in children's church. I played the piano. And we were youth sponsors. And I taught Sunday school, you know, everything. And we would go on outreach. You know, we were doing all the right things. But sometimes we can get so busy that we don't have time for the relationship. Mm -hmm. And that's what suffers. And I have learned the hard way that the relationship has got to come first 
and then he will put on my heart the things that he wants me to do mm-hmm. and uh, in the beginning I didn't want anybody to know you know I was uh, pretty involved in the church and uh, I I just didn't want our friends to know and but God really he kind of slapped that right out of me and uh, he wanted me to start teaching and he opened the way and so a lot of my Bible study in the beginning was based on everything I was learning while going through this dark valley and people that knew it they couldn't believe the joy that I had well that's only a work of God yeah when your child's living like Laura was or like any rebellious child for you to have victory in it that victory is only from one source and so uh, you can live above the depression, you can live above, above the anxiety and the what is, but only if you yourself will be obedient and let the Lord work on you. That's the only way you'll have victory. Yeah, so y'all both mentioned, thank you for sharing that, that I feel like our listeners will be really helped by that because there are a lot of just like you said, whatever, however your kids are rebelling, there are a lot of prodigals in the world and we ourselves are, were prodigals at some point. Um, and so I think that that's going to be super helpful as this podcast is coming out, we're getting ready to head into the holiday season. And so Mm -hmm. we will potentially be spending more time with our families and we may or may not get along with them. So what are some ways, um, and Laura, we'll let you answer this first. Um, we know that you were radically changed by Christ. It wasn't anything that your mom did, but what are some ways that she kind of, the line of communication was kept open even while you were living this other lifestyle? And and what made you still trust your mom as someone to go to even when um, you were not living the same lifestyle that she was? And so we're really interested in how that worked in your relationship. Yeah, and remember that um, the the communication is two-way. And if you imagine sort of a, a, a pipe connecting um, the two of you, so you can have it open on your end, but the other person has the option to close it. Right. And there were times that I would cut them off for a while, and then I would kind of come back, and then I'd cut them off for a while, and then I'd come back. And it was always I was always trying to manipulate them into doing what I wanted them to do. And I was just like, I didn't want to be around them because the more I was, when I was around them, I was reminded of the truth even if they didn't say anything. Um, and there were times that they would, you know, times that they wouldn't. They, they quit pretty early on trying to fix me. Um, you know, but the, the Lord, I think it was just due to a lot of their prayers. So as they would pray, it would kind of come back. Um, but I think uh, the danger is sometimes parents want to force the other person to open their end of the communication. And so they'll start compromising or they'll, they'll start... Um, you know, doing things that they shouldn't to try and keep that open when they're only responsible for their end of the communication. Um, and so, you know, I think uh, one thing that they did, though, so, you know, my mom has talked about how she couldn't fix me and there was nothing she could say. But at the same time, the Lord was using them. But, um, you know, instead of them just talking about my sin all the time, I knew where they stood. I think it's important for a parent or grandparent to speak the truth at some point and to say, look, this is where we stand because... This is what the Lord has said. Like, if you've never said anything, I think that's important. Mm-hmm. But there's a difference between that and hounding them and really trying to, you know, shove it down their throat and that kind right. of thing. But what they began to do, and I really don't even think they realized it. My parents, 
started getting so into their Bible study and they were seeking the Lord with all their heart. And as they, as the Lord began to change them, the Lord just began to flow out of them. You know, that's what Jesus said. Um, like out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And he talked about the importance of abiding in the vine for without me, you can do nothing. And I think as we, the more that we pursue the Lord, the more he begins to flow out of us. So I remember going to dinner with them sometimes and I was just amazed at the change in them because they, they weren't preaching at me anymore, but it's like their entire world just was, was about Jesus. And they were just exalting him rather than talking about me and what was, you know, what I was doing wrong and how I was failing and all of this. Um, and, and so I think that was important, but it wasn't this forced thing of like, oh, this is going to fix her. They were so in love with Jesus that it just began to flow out of them. And I think that's the encouragement I give parents a lot is to keep their eyes on the Lord, to pursue him with all of their heart. And don't make your, I think sometimes when parents are going through this particular valley, their entire prayer life becomes all about that child. You know, it's important to pray for those things, but I think that it can, it can almost become an idol um, and it can consume our prayers and our thoughts. Um, but as they begin to just pursue the Lord, I begin to get curious and things that they said did get through sometimes. My dad would talk a lot about prophecy and about the Lord coming back and all this. And I tuned it out a lot, but sometimes I'd go home and I was like, man, what if he's right? <laughs> so, you know, so things did, the Lord still got through, but I think it's important to remember that this is a work of the Holy Spirit. It is the Lord that speaks to people. And so he can use us, but if we'll focus on him and we'll just be a vessel for his use, he will speak through us. But we have to, but if we're, if we're so focused on the, the other person that we're trying to fix them in our own strength, that's where we get into trouble. But if we'll keep our eyes on the Lord, he will speak through us. You said something that I think was super powerful, Lara, as far as um, for parents, a lot of times when our children aren't doing what we expect or maybe you're making the choices we want, we our prayers can almost become an idol of what we are praying for. I mean, we're yeah. instead of really asking the Lord to change us, um, that is really, really powerful. And I think both of you have have articulated that really well. Francine, from your perspective, you know, how hard was it to keep that communication open? Did you feel like you were pursuing that or did you have to work hard at that? In the beginning, I'll just say this, like the night she came out and told us all of this, um, you know, I will admit I was quite angry. Um, I just, because there's a history of about 10 years before that, where we had had difficulties with Laura, and uh, we thought we had her in a good place at this point. And uh, it was just like, you know, another thing. And like she said, she knew where we stood. You know, she had been in the church. She knew how we felt, and she knew all of that. And we, we knew we did not have to keep rehashing that. Mm -hmm. So we kind of hashed it one night. And then after that, we kept our conversations very generic. And, you know, uh, we would call her and see we were going to Tulsa. Uh, how about we have dinner together? And, you know, most of the time she would agree. And uh, it, was, it was difficult for us 
Because I tell you, when you have a beautiful young girl for your child for 25 years, and you're sitting across from someone you don't hardly recognize who is in male clothes and has a full beard, it's extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. But uh, God was gracious and gave us the grace that we needed. And we just tried to keep the communication open. Uh, we tried to support her uh, the best that we knew how. Uh, this was back in 2008 when transgender was not hardly a word. And uh, if, it, if anybody knew about it, it was pretty taboo. Whereas right now, it's almost the end thing to do. And um, so we struggled, you know, for quite a few years just trying to meet with her. And, but as she said, we, were, we didn't preach at her anymore, you know, or, or get on to her or anything. We just tried to keep it generic and enjoy the evening with her. And uh, something that she has said uh, in one of her recent testimonies just really encouraged me. Because she said, when the prodigal, whoever it is, gets to the end of themselves they will go back to the people that spoke truth to them. Hmm. And so Paul and I kept our, our door open. We wanted her to feel like when she was at the end of all of this, that she could come home and we would never say, I told you so. And so I, you know, God just really was gracious in that time. And, uh, she was home just a very short time, and I began to see how God was working and changing her. And I want to tell you what He had done, the work He had done in me, everything I had felt through all these years, uh, since she was 18, actually, 16 or 18, I mean, in a moment, melted away. It just melted away, and God relieved me of you know, of any hurts, any rejection, the time she had told me she hated me, and all of these different things, God took it in an instant. And uh, it was, he gave us, uh, she lived at home almost two years, and he gave us a wonderful time of restoration and healing. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was just, I just sat back and could not believe what God was doing. It was the most radical transformation I'd ever seen in my life. And that's and, such a yeah. gift that you were able to just yeah. you yes. know, experience that for, for sure. Yeah. Sure. I would be in here in my room studying and she was right across the hall and she would just burst into my room and she would say, Mom, did you know this? Did you know this? Look what the Bible says. And this was day after day. And it was just wonderful how God restored the years that the locusts ate. Yeah, that's, right. that's beautiful. And just such a reminder, like I think Kelly said earlier, just um, about how God pursues us and and how He is faithful to um, to you know repair relationships and restore mm -hmm. and redeem um, things. And so, one of the things that we want to ask, um, we always ask about how an experience has marked you and so we wanted to be specific in this case and ask each of you how this experience marked you in your walk with Christ and more specifically maybe because that's a that's a very broad question um, <laughs> but what did you learn about God through this experience and Laura we'll have you go first and then Francine after
You know, this experience totally transformed my view of God. And when he began to reveal himself to me after I got saved, um, and he began to just open my eyes to who he truly was, I, I was so blown away at how faithful and trustworthy and good and kind he was. And he began to build my faith just little by little with these little experiences that I had, um, you know, and just show me that I could truly trust him. And then over the next couple of years after I left the lifestyle, as he began to build my faith, you know, more and more and more, and he would just have me do these crazy things that didn't make sense. And he would show himself so faithful. And I, I think that that's what transformed me the most was seeing God for who he truly was. And uh, it, it just blows my mind how relational God is, that he wants a relationship with us, that he's not He's not sitting on his throne hoping that we figure it all out and that we, you know, we, we mark all the right boxes. He's looking for a heart that truly seeks him. Um, and I think that's, that's the biggest difference for me. I'm, I'm going to start with uh, a situation that happened um, maybe a year or so before she came home. I'm not quite sure. And uh, so I've been working. I have been going through the Bible studies, and I'm teaching for about seven years now. And um, I'm in Andrew Murray's Absolute Surrender book and Andrew Murray's Humility book. And I've taken my hands off and all of that. And then I began to see God is really working on Laura without me. And... I, I began to see things that God was doing in her, and he would give me what I call glimmers of hope. So even in the dark pit, I began to see God is truly working on this girl because I am I'm letting him work on me, and I felt like if, he, if I would allow him to work on me, he would take care of Laura. And so after a few years, I began to see he is faithful to this, and he is the only one that can work in her. And I remember one morning, I was in my quiet time and reading and everything, and I knew that Laura was getting closer to returning to him. And I began to think of all the things that I could do to help him. And it was just, it was so clear in my heart. And I just thought, oh, I could do this and this and this. And it was so clear, Francine, only one of us is going to work on her. And if you want me to work on her, you go sit on the sofa and get your Bible out and we'll continue working on you. But if you want to work on her, I'm not. That's such a great testimony, Francine. It, it's such a great... Yes great opportunity to give glory to him and to sure. to know how he is he alone is the one who can change lives and and transform people and not us um thank you both so much for just being so transparent and for just sharing your story Francine, I thought it might be a good way for us to end today because I do know there's some moms who are out there hurting and they are, they're going to be listening to this and, and just 
their their heart is in pain for their kids and and maybe some things that they're going through would would you mind closing our time together by just uh, praying for those moms and just asking the lord to to intervene sure our father i just come before you and lord just once again i thank you for the miraculous transformation that you did in Laura. And I can honestly say that I am grateful for the entire experience because in the process, not only did you change her, but you changed me. But Lord, help these help these mothers to see as they pray for their child that he is the only one that can work in them. Nothing that they can say is going to really make a difference. So I encourage all of them to just yield yourself totally to the Lord, get in the Word, meditate on it, and ask Him to change you and take away from you everything that's not like Jesus. And I'll tell you, then when your child and others around you see that, they want what you have. And they become curious. So, Lord, we are to be that light that shows how we can live in victory even when we're living in the depths of a pit. We can rise above it. And all that, all of that victory is given only in Jesus Christ as we surrender and let be influenced and under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Victory is only found in you. So I just want to encourage mothers to just yield the child Pray for God to work in their lives. Pray for them to be drawn to him like a magnet, that that he'll place friends in their lives, uh, people that will draw them back. Bring out those stories, those Bible stories, those songs they learned, scripture they learned as a child. I remember Laura said it all came flooding back. So we know in their hearts, in the depths, it's in there. And I just pray that you will begin to peel away the calluses and the layers of their heart. And Lord, begin working in them. And as Laura told me, you were working behind the scenes when we didn't even know it. So that's an encouragement to mothers. And I pray that you'll give them glimmers of hope, just like you gave me. And many of my prodigal mothers that share with me, God gave me a little glimmer of hope. And so I pray that for all these mothers who are listening and just... Put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and sit back and see what he does because he can orchestrate something that you have not even begun to imagine. And I just pray that you will encourage them and that right now you're working on the hearts of not only the moms but of the prodigals. And we just thank you in advance for all of these that we are going to see come back to you and all the stories of victory that we will hear and how you're working in the hearts of these prodigals and i just thank you for the ones we've had come back and we give you praise now for those that you are working on and that will be returning and i pray for these moms oh father i know how they feel and i've walked in those footsteps and the only way you'll have victory is to let the lord jesus christ carry you in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And listeners, thank you for for being here this week. And um, we're just uh, 
we're prayerful of those of you who are maybe struggling or have have people in your lives that are prodigals and um, we hope that this has been an encouragement to you today and Elizabeth and I will be back here next week with an, another story and another another podcast. Thanks so much again. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly D. King and at E.D. Heineman. Use the hashtag Marked Podcast to connect with us. You can also find Lifeway Women on all social media channels at Lifeway Women. All of today's show notes will be posted at LifewayWomen.com slash podcast. If you love the show, leave an iTunes review. It's a great way for other people to hear about the podcast. We'll see you next time. Home should be a place where we feel at peace, where we can be ourselves, where we feel loved. For a lot of us, though, home is a place of heartache, hurt, and loneliness. As believers, Christ promises us an eternal home. But what does that actually look like? And how do we deal with our current homesickness? I recently wrote a Bible study called Come Home for Women, and I'm so excited that Come Home will also be available for teen girls. It's perfect for small groups, helps girls answer important questions, and gives us a richer understanding of what kind of home God's building for us. The release date for Come Home for Teen Girls is August 1st, but you can pre-order it now at lifeway.com slash come home. Don't miss out on this opportunity to help girls belong and be loved. Again, you can pre-order it today at lifeway.com slash come home.